0: And welcome to the Limited
1: Bandwidth Podcast. We are your hosts, David and Leo, otherwise known as the Folk Duo the last inklings. Now, social media is is here to stay, whether we like
0: it or not. And uh, it's become an essential part of an artist's toolkit for connecting with our audiences. And, and definitely the two of us are still very much learning how to find a bit of balance between the online digital stuff and, and making that space to, work, to stay creative.
1: Yeah, I, I guess we're kind of towards the beginning of our journey, um, starting with investigating the way that other artists are navigating social media. And our first two episodes will be exploring the role that, that social media plays for our guests with both artists active in various areas
0: of the music scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're interested to find out how they use social platforms and what impact they feel it has towards, towards their goals as artists. Mm. But I think quite importantly for us, what impact it has on them as individuals to be using social media.
1: Yeah, I mean, social media metrics from, from likes to, to follows and shifting subscriber counts, they're not always the best sort of gauge of uh, genuine connection in this weird online world. (laughs) And our first guest has opted for quality, authentic content to, to try and Drive that engagement and that that connection. So we've got singer songwriter and and
0: fingerstyle guitarist Chris Cleverly, uh, and he's about to release an album. He's already released a couple of singles, um, and his social media around the release really caught our attention, mm. kind of for its personal content and th- this definite sense of like underlying strategy. Yeah, his own voice as an artist is really clearly evident in those posts, and yeah, we we wanted to find out a bit more about how he's promoting that connection with his music through this kind of social
1: media presence so now we're going to hand over to the first interview of the series so this is episode one of limited bandwidth and uh, as our guest today we have the inimitable mr chris cleverly hello chris
2: hey how's it going
1: yeah great thank you for joining us yeah (laughs) yeah thank you so much We've been looking forward to this for uh, for quite a while now so yeah so just to give people a bit of an idea of of
0: who you are in your own words how would you describe what you do within the music industry
2: cool so hello everyone um i'm chris cleverly i'm a songwriter and performer um broadly speaking i make kind of contemporary folk acoustic music with a kind of dreamy angle into kind of like ambient textures, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, that kind of thing. Um, Perform on the UK songwriting circuit, then venues and festivals around the country and been doing it for roughly about eight years or so and met a lot of great people like yourselves on the way. It's great to be
1: here with you today. He's so humble, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, because we know you as like a
0: pretty, uh, pretty good finger style guitarist as well. So, like, your instrumental abilities, because
2: um, you teach as well, is that right? I do a little bit of teaching, yeah, yeah. Guitar is my main thing, and thank you for saying that as well. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so finger style guitar—that's kind of like the core of what I do. You know, players like Nick Jones, John Smith, and and Ace Mitchell, those kind of guitarists are oh, the ones yeah. I kind of really feed off and have learnt off.
1: Yeah, so that's my thing, really. That's the core of what's going on there with my music. Amazing! Um, I think the first time we came across you was at a lovely little gig on the river. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. A few years ago now. Yeah, first um, chance to see you live. That was
0: a long time back, um, and I remember yeah, being struck yeah. by your tune about uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. The rafters. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, actually, yeah. I did a gig last Friday, and that was the first time I played that song since like. 2019 before the pandemic it kind of went off my repertoire but it's come back in reworked from a slightly different angle and
1: yeah it's great to have it back again so
2: oh thanks for remembering (laughs) it's some great lyricism I like it
1: yeah yeah I mean these are strange times for for everyone really involved in the music industry um what's your sort of relationship with with social media these days
2: um I think probably as complex a relationship as it is for most musicians like Mm. um it's very much, I kind of think of it like generally as a as a business tool and it's probably not something I would have anything to do with if I didn't need it to promote my business. You know, it's, it's not <laughs> I don't
1: think I'm you're already, alone there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: totally. I think, yeah, you talk to most people about it and that's kind of the consensus in it. it like I, I wouldn't necessarily have personal profiles if I didn't need them to run the business accounts. It's like it's something I'd try and get in and
1: yeah. out as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think. I'm guessing you guys feel the same. <laughs> well, a lot of that comes from uh, perhaps overexposure because you feel like you have to be on it all the time for promotion um, and networking and that sort of thing. So I th- I don't think it's uncommon to have a, a love hate relationship with it, no. especially in these these weird times.
0: I mean, if we were going to go back a little bit um, to your album, apparitions so mm. so back when you were in that release cycle all those those years ago because that's been out for a little while hasn't it did you feel like yeah. the social media aspect was was that kind of present back then as it is now in trying to get word out about that recording that release
2: that, that's a really interesting point actually I was, i've been thinking quite a bit about this in the last couple of weeks um because i'm putting out a new record in november and really kind of quite engaged with promoting it at the moment in that release cycle and i was kind of naturally like comparing this experience to how it was oh, what seven years ago when i put out that record and I've, I've kind of got this i mean maybe we were romanticized the past a little bit but i've got this idea that you back then you you used to have to do so much less for so much greater return on mm, social media Yeah, like you could um take quite a cavalierish unstructured approach to sort of fire stuff out chaotically and it would just kind of explode out into the world and get so much reach and so much engagement yeah and yeah. whereas nowadays you could you could do Content that's you know much more technically proficient, much more like well thought out and considered, and you've put so much more time into it, and you get a fraction of the exposure for it, and kind of it's like uh, it haunts you thinking about it. It's so unfair. Um, No, that's a great point. Yeah,
1: and and and, like
2: you try and I don't know naturally try and account for why that might be, and you know there's there's so so many factors like changes in the nature of the platform, changes in the way people engage with the platform and stuff like that, but Ultimately, it it kind of feels quite chaotic and random a lot of the time about, you know, why stuff like that happens, why it changes in that way. So were you
0: conscious with that album about having to have kind of a multimedia aspect to it, the uh, videos to go with singles, the artwork pushing that in the same way? Or, yeah, like you say, does it feel a bit more like you could just haphazardly get that out there as it came to you?
2: I think... Yeah, probably like when I was first starting out, it was, um, I mean, obviously social media was still important back then, but I don't think it was quite as crucial as it was now. And I certainly didn't have anything like a structured plan or like a budget for using it or anything like that. It's, it's kind of, it's much more formalized the way I use it now. And, um, and I, and I think if I had my time again Like, given that the platforms were so much more open to exposure back then, I I feel like knowing what I know now, I could have done so much more with that stuff back then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, did you go
0: down a a traditional kind of PR route with with the album back at that point? So, looking at getting into print media and the kind of interview cycle.
2: Yeah, yeah, very much. So, so when I was promoting it back then, all of my marketing budget was pretty much spent on PR and maybe a little bit of advertising, which I think. So we're talking 2015 was probably still more print-based advertising, okay. whereas nowadays, compare it now, for this release, I'm aiming to do PR company, but also hiring digital marketing professionals and having a much bigger budget for online advertising and mm. probably no print media at all. And it just goes to show how much things are changing in quite a short amount of time, like in terms of what your priorities are and what you, where you have the best potential for getting some impact for your for your spending.
1: Yeah, that engagement is so key. Definitely, yeah. I think we've heard lots of people talking about the paradigm shift from post-pandemic uh, marketing to sort of the digital version of things being the core of the advertising that happens. And as you say, in back in 2015, I think to use one of the, the marketing buzzwords, it was kind of an organic approach, wasn't it? You could, you could mm. do things a lot more naturally without having mm. to pay for that reach, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was almost a digital version of word of mouth, which... I mean, I, I would love that to be the case now, really.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know about you
2: guys. Like, you're on Facebook particularly, you get the kind of memories posts where it just oh, yeah. randomly fires posts from, like, five or six years ago. And it's like, it's like sometimes <laughs> now because it's, like, the equivalent time and I was releasing my first album around the same time as this new one that's coming out. So I'm getting a lot of the Apparitions album release posts as my memories and, and like, seeing the stats on there, it's just, mm-hmm. like... Plus how, you know, stuff that I, I wasn't necessarily paying for promotion, wasn't doing in a structured way. And, it, and and the figures were kind of like it was much easier to get those high numbers and view counts and stuff that it is now. You probably, I feel like I probably would have to put some money in to get that equivalent level, which is, is, is yeah, it's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember um, your your live from the, the Glass Isle album felt like a, a bit of a, a shift upwards in visibility. With a focus on like beautiful artwork and, and insights into the, the journey behind the music.
0: Yeah, was that was that quite a conscious step to to lift that album into a slightly different space? Because it really felt like something switched on or, or did it organically just kind of catch for you?
2: I think that probably links back to maybe about a year prior, around the start of the pandemic, when I had kind of a very negative relationship with social media around this. We're talking like kind of April to June, maybe. I mean, you know, it's a crazy time um, and there's lots of other stuff to think about. And I basically deleted my social apps off my phone. So okay. it didn't really go off for like several months. Mm. I just got a lot of distance from it then. And I actually, like, incredibly in that period, just kind of processed the concept of using social media a lot more and thought about it and thought about how I've been using it and how I could do it more constructively, accepting the fact that you know as you said earlier it's here to stay and it's got to be a part of what you do and I think I realized at that point that if I was going to be using it spending such a long time you know each week putting stuff on there um, then I had to find a way to make it meaningful Mm. and if possible enjoyable and kind of started to think of it more as an artistic thing so it was an opportunity to to write to to actually create something you know i love language it's something that fascinates me and so actually if you've got if you are like spending you know half an hour each day writing like 100 200 words that's actually quite a powerful creative opportunity that you've got there rather than just you know churning out some vacuous stuff the first thing that comes into your head so which was kind of if i'm honest often what i was doing before it was like a last minute thing Whereas from that point onwards, I kind of now I will take some time over doing it. Mm. I will think about exactly what I want to say. I will think about ways I can say things that are kind of devoid of you know, cliche and overused patterns of language and stuff. And that's and actually has become, you know, quite quite an enjoyable thing to do. Um, it's something that kind of forces me into a more creative mindset. Mm,
1: yeah,
2: And I'm sure that that kind of paradigm shift in my approach must account for why people like yourselves noticed um, a a difference in the way it was being presented Um, i mean i couldn't say for definite that there was a connection but it does seem to uh, seem to add
1: up absolutely yeah i I think that that sort of thing does come across and it's it is really important to um to be authentic to yourself and also to to use the platforms in the way that that you want to be used
0: yeah i love the idea of taking it and creating well making it an artistic extension of what you're doing that's a fascinating idea and because for me it just feels like an uphill struggle so reframing it maybe that's a positive way of looking at things
1: yeah in some ways it's been like the, the the whole pandemic era has been like one big reflection on you know we've got these tools this is what they're doing this is where they're at this is how people are using them for this industry at the moment is is there a better way you know can we ask these questions of ourselves and yeah. get some answers, really? <laughs> yeah, because
0: too often we've really just co-opted a social platform and turned it into something for marketing and we've forgotten to share something about ourselves when we do it, I think.
2: It becomes like a kind of administrative process which is running parallel mm. to our, our creative stuff that we do, our art. But actually the, the kind of revelation I've had is is when when those two kind of merge together and become one thing, then it feels... A lot easier to justify spending the time that you have to spend on
1: it doing that. <laughs> if that makes like, sense, so. that's a whole topic in itself, isn't it? The <laughs> yeah, um, yeah whether, whether you know, you it's it's an infinite amount of time that you can spend marketing yourself online. Really, there's no there's no upper limit, is there? Um, mm. And arguably, you might be able to get the same sort of reach and engagement with you know a tenth of the time that you you could be spending on it. Um, but there's no real sort of test for that. There's no no framework. There's too much chaos. Too much chaos <laughs> to be able to pick the data
0: apart, which is a frustration in and of itself. I think.
1: Yeah, and and the whole sort of psychology between around marketing yourself as a person is really really weird. Um, well, it's like writing the <laughs> about me section on a CV. I think it's <laughs> yeah.
0: It, it comes. It's very strange to be so vulnerable online, but I, th- I think that's something that stood out for us about your posts around that album. It was just the authenticity that's clearly in there, mm. using your
1: own artistic voice to say something. Yeah, it's it's, cool. it's really encouraging to to see somebody succeeding with that um, that amount of authenticity and you know being true to themselves with it.
2: Oh, cool! Well, that's great. I'm really glad that's come across, and thank you for saying it. I think it's probably an interesting point. So, the, the like in terms of the nature of those posts, the ones that we're talking about, that they tend to be, for me, it would be like I have a picture or a video, or whatever, and then quite an extended piece of text. So, we're talking, I don't know maybe like as much as 200 words or something. Mm. And in terms of like the conventions of social media, I find those aren't always the posts which get you the best data in terms of tangible engagements, like whatever, I don't know, likes or comments or... If you were to measure what you're doing just purely on that in a sort of statistical, quantitative way... Um, then it would be easy to think that doing that kind of thing would be pointless, doing the kind of like longer artistic things would be pointless because they're not getting the numbers that you want. But actually the fact that you guys have come to me and said it's those kind of posts that have, you know, been noticeable to you shows that there's something less kind of quantitative about how you measure what you're doing. Um, And maybe you don't always get that feedback, but (laughs) I guess it proves that if, if you are sort of keeping it real, and if you're doing something that is genuine, then yeah. it, it yeah. does speak to people. It does get through to people, even if you don't necessarily have the analytics to prove that. Absolutely. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a bit of a leap of faith with that, that kind of approach, I think, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, because the numbers are never going to show you the engagement in the truest way. Uh, there isn't a metric out there to say that someone read that post and took something away from it. All you've got is the fact that they were there briefly.
1: Yeah, for me, it's it's kind of that that personal touch. Even if you're not playing the game as the social media platforms want it to be played, with lots of short form content, lots of videos, lots of you know all these time consuming things to to sort of construct um, that that human element is is at the core of it, and that's what people engage with. I think that's what gets people on board and makes them want to follow what you do as a person. Yeah, and I think as musicians, that's that's kind of the core of it. Um, and every, everything else follows. Because otherwise there'd be an AI to write every single post
0: and you wouldn't need the person behind the post.
1: <laughs> it does feel like that some, sometimes, doesn't it?
0: Now, bringing us really up to date, uh, I know that that album was only August, did you say, a year ago now? So From the Glass aisle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we are right on the cusp of a fresh release and this is uh, Broadcast The Secret Verse, your latest album. What's the kind of ethos behind this one? What's been the inspiration to create
2: this piece of music?
1: Yeah, love the title, by the way. Is there there a story behind that? Oh, thank you.
2: Um, It's actually a lyric from a song which didn't make it onto the album in the end. But but it kind of, um, I guess it it sort of, for me, summed up the concept behind what I was doing with the album. It was sort of like, um, sort of the idea of not holding back and going all in and that art is in such a precarious place at the moment with the way the music industry is at. Um any artist you speak to would testify to that that it's much harder to do what we're doing and monetize it than it was, say, three years ago. And it and it kind of feels like (laughs) whilst we still have the time to be doing this, it's a great privilege to be doing it. So we better make the most of every opportunity we have. So there's no point in doing things like holding back because you're worrying about how it's going to be received or whatever it's, mm. this is this seems like to me like the perfect time to just put the whole of yourself into a record go all in say the things that you think are important to be said um, and not compromise on that so that's kind of what the concept of the, the title is and I, and I like to think that's reflected in the songs i think they're the rawest most expressive um songs that i've written so far i think they're covering topics which are really important to me, but like maybe three years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have had the courage to have engaged with on a record because, you know, maybe they're more kind of divisive or or whatever. Um, But I think for me that it kind of comes back to this quote. I remember the singer of a band called the 1975 said, which really captured my imagination. It's this idea that the bits that we worry we shouldn't be putting into our art are exactly the bits that we should be putting in.
1: Awesome. <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of yeah. the album. So That makes it. sense. I
2: think that comes out quite nicely.
0: Because you've just released uh, the second single um, from the album, which is called... Uh, it's called Still Life. What's the kind of uh, flavour of that song, or, like taking it as a facet of what the rest of the album
2: is about? Conceptually, that song paints a picture of this imagined world, this kind of dystopian present, which could quite easily be our, be our own world, where we've lived for too long in an unsustainable way we've drained the world of its natural resources um we have this kind of scorched earth society has collapsed there's nothing left and it's it's kind of pretty when i put it out like that it sounds pretty bleak but it's it's kind of like a road that i'm frightened that we're heading down and Mm. a lot of evidence seems to be suggesting that we are heading down so maybe the time has come to really imagine what it will be like unless we seriously change our ways and get to grips with things like uh climate emergency renewable energy and things like that so it's kind of that, that's the kind of the vibe of it musically it's a massive paradigm shift for me it's the first song i've ever done that has no acoustic instrumentation whatsoever it's all electric guitar synthesizers program drums stuff like that oh wow um, so yeah really exciting place to be uh musically I know a lot of people know me as being an acoustic artist and I appreciate you kind of you get attached to what an artist's doing but I like to think people will be with me on this journey because I think it's it's cool it's exciting and people are hopefully going to dig it Still.
1: So um, another thing that's come to our attention has been some recent articles in um, in publications like NME and The Guardian. And there was one in The Times today as well from very high profile musicians who are moving away from social media platforms um, and sort of labelling it as digital burnout. And this is like a compound effect from, from the, the pressures of touring and things like that. People like Arlo Parks, Sam Fender... Um, I think
0: Wet Leg was mentioned in one of the articles as well.
1: Yeah, Wet Leg. Um, and, and this is just sort of the latest wave of people that are, are reaching the mainstream media for, for these sorts of issues. Is this something that that you're aware of? And, and how does that affect you sort of in your mental state at being a musician, being involved in the industry?
2: Yes, certainly aware of it. Um, digital burnout is definitely a term that rings a few bells for me. Like um, the last 18 months spending like so much of communication being shifted in onto digital platforms often kind of like message based as well and having like so many different inboxes that are are, like i'm sure it's the same for you as musicians like inboxes for like i don't know facebook messenger and whatsapp and email and stuff and they're all kind of like a mix of personal (laughs) and professional stuff so whatever reason you're going on for there's always Mm -hmm. kind of like I don't know a message from a friend or something that's like below one from from someone you're replying to at work and so there's kind of like no escape from it what, whatever reason you go on onto it for there's there's kind of like a completely different aspect of your life which is there kind of pulling for your attention as well and that that that's what I found has kind of like burnt me out a lot and made me you know less good at you know replying to messages from friends and stuff or whatever or <laughs> we all do it. long student, <laughs> like Professional emails as well, and so that that to me kind of characterises digital burnout. That that feeling of just not having anything left to to give at the times that you would allocate to um to kind of get on top of your digital admin, just kind of feeling (laughs) a bit um, like there's nothing going on in your head. Like you've got you lose the ability to you know, form sentences or whatever. And <laughs> I kind of think like if I'm going to message someone, I want it to be um, meaningful and kind of uh, not just following them off. So then I end up like with this big backlog and leave it to a time when I feel like I've got more vitality or whatever, uh, which which seems to be longer and longer as the last 18 months has gone on.
0: Does it feel like this was kind of behind uh, the last time that you, you felt you had to take that break from social media? Was it this kind of run of issues that was pushing that?
2: Yeah, I think I think that was probably part of it, and I think that's like in terms of the 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 impact it has on mental health. That was something that was really powerful for me. Is um, taking say several months off social media, realizing that um, two things like that were important. I realized firstly that I was starting to connect more with the world around me when when it wasn't like pulling at me to to kind of spend an hour each day on there doing stuff. Yeah. And that like I, I noticed how much being on social media regularly affects my attention span and contracts that and like makes
1: me <laughs> stuff. Because it's everywhere, isn't it? It's in your pocket. Yeah, it's yeah. part of you. you yeah, yeah. Totally. And that expectation to be plugged in all the time is is unrealistic, really, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. And and I like I definitely I would concede that it's kind of engineered my behavior to an extent where I do it compulsively sometimes. It's almost like an addictive. Thing. Like I'll be, I don't know, on a walk in the countryside and I'll be on Twitter or something. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but like actually just, just deleting it all off your phone just ensures that you don't have that temptation. So so that was a cool realisation, that, that getting off it increased my connection with the external reality. Mm. And the other realisation was that actually going off it for three months didn't really change anything in terms of my engagement and the people that were engaging it. Like, I guess there's so much noise and stuff that even if you're really into an artist, you, you don't, like... You, no one's going on and being like, oh, no, there's no post from them today. <laughs> like, it's, you kind of, I think you put a lot more importance on being visible on social media in your head than than it actually is. You know, like, it was, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can go off for, for however long you need, and it's not going to kill your career. Like, <laughs> you, you can basically... My experience is you can pick up where you left off, and it and it like the engagement just picks back up again oh, the wow. people.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> that's absolutely fascinating. It could, could give me some bad habits. <laughs> We've experienced that kind of disconnect between what happens online and the real world. Yeah, absolutely. In, in, yeah, in in multiple different sort of realms of I mean whether for, it's marketing or yeah
0: just just as an example when uh, you took that step back and came off of those platforms were you mm-hmm. actively gigging at that point in time so having those real world musical connections
2: okay well that's an interesting point because this I'm ta- this like I'm talking is was in the height of the pandemic so yeah, I wasn't yeah. I stuff that I needed to promote so yeah i think i would find that very difficult to do say now when i'm gearing up to putting out a record that would be a ridiculous thing to do to just not (laughs) so that that is that yeah a very strong caveat but maybe like if it's something we feel that we need to do to get that detachment from it something Mm. like we can schedule in over the course of say a year like you know i'm in between tours or releases or whatever i know i'm going to have a bit of kind of downtime or don't need to push stuff too much so maybe that's a good time to delete the stuff for like I don't know, two, three weeks, a month, couple of months, if you can if you feel you can afford to, and just experiment and see if like how much it actually really affects things. And because re- because like I mean, maybe in those times when we're not really pushing something, a lot of the stuff we're putting on might be just sort of like placeholder stuff, like keeping yeah. it ticking. out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not not the be all and end all if it's not going out there. I don't think. I mean, maybe maybe this is really bad advice. Maybe digital. <laughs> To say something completely different but but if you're just looking at it from the perspective of numbers then i'm sure it's not the best thing to do but we as people mm. have more considerations we have to consider things like is it burning us out is it like yeah. affecting our daily routines and stuff
1: i mean we're all we're all still kind of figuring it out aren't we like how how does it all fit into the creative cycle like is there a point at which you know after you've done the release after you've followed it up with the tour and everything um and you're starting to look towards writing new material that's an ideal time to sort of take a little bit of downtime and go off grid and you know well mm. there's
0: still the consideration as well as to do you look at it we were reading this recently do you look at it like a a diet where um, you know you've just decided that you're going to cut loads of stuff out and you're so going to really binge for a while. You ration yourself. Yeah. You ration yourself. Yeah. Is it? Does it work the same way? Are you trying to change a habit or properly take that time off to detox from something? It's different for everyone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I think. Yeah. We're all
1: still finding our feet. There. You've got to find out what works for you as an artist or as a band or as you know mm-hmm. whether you're assigned to a label or an independent. It's it, all these things are factors that, that go into that, aren't they? talking a little bit about headspace as well at the moment
0: um, yeah, yeah. the way that you're currently working and using mm. it as a creative space and you know because mm. there's some like lovely poetic prose that you've got kind of flowing around your posts as well it's it's been a joy to read but do you find that still giving you lots of space to stay musically creative around that is it fueling it is it hindering it
2: i mean generally speaking it's not been a particularly creative musical time for the last couple of months i've basically been like a an office administrator behind my laptop for hours each day getting all of the admin together for the release and not being playing as much guitar as I want um so yeah and then like adding in the the keeping up with the social media as well like again that's like an hour or so most days of the week that I could be playing guitar so it definitely having to do it regularly is making a choice to do that rather than creative stuff sometimes but, but yeah, so, so then maybe if you're feeling like you're creatively stifled and you don't have that outlet, I, I have found kind of turning my social media time into an opportunity to, to write expressively is, um, it can maybe compensate a little bit for not having as much time to play music if it's a busy admin period.
1: It's a bit more of a positive outlook, isn't it? You're trying to change, change it into something that's, uh, that's helping you out rather than hindering you, I think. Mm i think so I, th-
2: I think um that forward planning with social media has been really helpful during this time um so i've kind of started to like write into my schedule maybe like a morning each week where i'll i'll last like a week's worth of posts and i'll have like several hours where i'll write them out and you know do a bit of video editing or something and make some little short videos mm. or get together images and stuff And, you know, maybe even like so much as write out the posts on the notes section on my iPhone. So they're ready to go and copy (laughs) and paste. I kind of like intuitively from a bit of data know the best times to post them. So I kind of have that scheduled in for each day and I've got all the content there. So it comes to like, I don't know, Wednesday, 7 p.m. That's my time. And I've got it already. So I literally just. (laughs) copy and paste hit the picture and it takes like 10 seconds to do rather than at times in the past where I've like got to 6 30 on a Wednesday and I'm like need to do some social media <laughs> yeah exactly I've got, I've got no like yeah yeah the juice stuff, I've got no ideas and I'm like panicking and it's like oh I'm gonna miss the window to like get the optimum engagement and then you just like end up putting out something that's just so vacuous and rubbish and then <laughs> Probably that makes it much more likely that the post is gonna bomb because people like subconsciously know that like it's not genuine. So mm. I, I think like giving yourself the time if if, if you're saying like I, I need it's something I need to have and it needs to be proper, then like writing that time in to do it is just I, I found that so much more helpful and, and such a better way to avoid like torturing myself about the quality of what I'm doing.
0: I mean certainly long term this kind of drive for content creation is one of the things that some of these artists in these big articles have spoken about. It's Even when they've got a team behind them to to help them out, as the artist, you still have to produce the stuff that your team is going to share with everyone. Uh, Mm. But just thinking of a change in practice, would you ever be looking to kind of hand over, or maybe not hand over, but reach out for help to another organisation or kind of PR company to do some of this? Or would you like to always be that person driving your own social media?
2: I, I think I probably always would want to come up with it. So, I'm actually, for in, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start for this album release working with a digital marketing company. And what we're, they're, they're kind of like, their input is going to be working with me to create content. And it's still going to be coming from me. I'm still going to be producing it, but, but they're going to be sort of consulting on it, I guess, bringing their expertise from the industry to say, kind of, you know, what what kind of content will work best for which platform, things like that, Uh, rather than just like making one post and just splashing it all over everywhere. Just thinking about, you know, spending a bit of time to tailor each post to specific audiences that you know about that are on Twitter or whatever, or what do my my Facebook (laughs) engage well Like looking at the data to have some, kind of like empirical evidence for for what you would be doing mm. um, I think that's going to be that's going be great for me it's going to be a, a really steep learning curve and hopefully come out the other side feeling a lot more self-sufficient and a lot better able to produce content which doesn't feel so random and chaotic it feels <laughs> like it actually has some evidence behind why I would do it mm. in a certain way but it's it's still gonna be me making it I feel that's quite important for me I feel like I feel like your your voice as an artist has to come across in every kind of public communication you do, whether it be your music, or your record on stage or what you're writing on social media. I think it it has to be, there has to be a golden thread for all of that. I'm quite passionate about that. And I think that as soon as someone else's language comes into it, it can dilute that potentially. And, um, you know, I guess it's great to have someone working on it and it and it frees up a lot of time for you to focus on music and stuff. But I, I'm quite passionate about. I think it should come from the person that's doing it personally.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And I don't think. I think it's hard for someone to ghostwrite your intent. Uh, online, yeah, So yeah, definitely. being present, that's yeah. a big thing. And it's a form of communication. I think it's easy to forget that social media is social. And when we go out and play, we want to connect with those people that have come to listen to us. And if they want to meet us in an online space as well, we still want to be the person connecting with them.
1: So I think we'd be mm. quite aligned there. It sounds super organized as well with like posting schedules and things like that. And as, as musicians, this is going to be a general broad sweeping statement. <laughs> we're not known for being the most organized people on the planet. Yeah, my 10,000 hours <laughs> didn't go into administration <laughs> at the end of the day. I'd oh yeah, yeah. safely say it's, it's not most of our fortes. Um, so it's a new skill that a lot of us have had to learn fairly recently and fairly rapidly as well um, in order to get momentum and traction in the current climate. I mean, you were talking there as well about kind of tailoring things to multiple
0: platforms. And just mm. as a bit of an idea, uh, what are the platforms that you use most of all
2: to, to kind of reach people musically? I guess it's it's still the big three for me, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yep. And luckily I've started using TikTok quite a lot as well. Okay. find that that's an incredible one for reach at the moment, not necessarily mm. engagement or engagement you can categorically say is translated into sales or whatever, but for just making initial impressions and getting it out there to new people, that's an incredible one because it, uh, as far as I understand, it's not so tight algorithmically, it, it, it won't... Require you so much to you know pay for your exposure because it's a new platform. And it's trying to get people on there, and so it's kind of offering a little more in that respect. So I think this is a perfect time to make sure, as artists, that we're on there and we're getting our stuff out there. Also, mm. um, potentially demographic-wise, reaching a lot of people who might not even be on Facebook. So I think it's worth kind of um, you know hedging our bets in that respect. But um, but yeah, definitely definitely. F- uh, Instagram is probably my, my main one. I find that I get the most response from and i make the most meaningful connections with,
0: I know you were talking about having someone come on board to give you a bit of support with this, but have you noticed, uh, a particular kind of content seems to suit those different platforms in different ways? Like TikTok must be really different and it's, that would be a new one for us. We aren't on TikTok. That's not something we've done yet. So have you found Yeah, there's a big difference in the kind of material that you put out on each platform for different engagement?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely have some thoughts and some evidence on this. It it doesn't always translate like, and, and also the stuff I was saying about organization that's my general approach, but it doesn't always land like that. So, of course, I still have the, the moments where I'm like, ah, oh, last minute, just get it all out there and just <laughs> copy and paste it across everything and hope for the best, like, because, like, you know, life doesn't always work out the way we mean it to. But generally, like, stuff like the Facebook business suite is really cool for stuff like going on and looking at all your posts and you can very easily get a sense of what's been performing best, like in terms of, was it a picture or a video or the length of text used or something. Um, And so just broadly speaking, I find Facebook like a, uh, a high quality image. Um, with some quite meaningful personal text they perform way better for me than like videos or whatever or
1: okay yeah
2: promo stuff uh twitter i usually find that is not good for promo either it's that's kind of like the the personal stuff gets way more engagement on that Mm. um and so so that's cool because maybe if you get a high engagement post then People will start to be drawn into your message, and then maybe they'll jump on your Instagram, and then they can see some promo stuff on there. And so, like, rather than just you know pushing, pushing, pushing the same stuff on everything, you can maybe be a bit more tactical about what's going to draw people in in that certain space, and how you can then kind of potentially channel them through to other platforms where your promo stuff is a bit more accepted and a bit more commonplace. Yeah. So, so I think. And then there's there's stuff like Instagram stories are really good for like, I don't know, a gig poster um, because it it kind of, a lot of people see it, it gets the message out, but it's not kind of, it doesn't feel as oppressively spammy as it does as doing a post.
1: (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what, if we
0: were to dive onto your TikTok channel, what kind of stuff would we be seeing there at the moment?
2: Another thing I found about TikTok is that like kind of more incidental um, iPhone videos of like behind the scenes stuff practicing cover versions little snippets of songs tend to do a lot better than like an official music video whereas say on like Facebook I would always go for the the most like pro content that I've got yeah. and that will perform better than like me in my pajamas playing some <laughs> guitar whereas TikTok it seems like I, don't, I couldn't say it's definitely the case but my experience is the vibe is people like the more rough and ready lo-fi kind of content which is also cool because that takes so much less effort. So to have a platform where you can just put a phone up, record yourself playing a song for 30 seconds and have like twice the reach of your official music video on you, know <laughs> you like days working on it that's quite cool to have that avenue. And I think it's definitely um, worth tapping into whilst the giving is good.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, all all of that sort of rings true with with our experiences and and what other people have been telling us as well. It seems to be like there's a, a a big spread of of these platforms to choose from, and, and one of the difficulties is is choosing which ones to prioritize and and not trying to do them all at the same time. It's um yeah, it's it's a fascinating topic, and I think. We're coming to the end of our allotted time for this episode so there's I don't
2: know if there's time to squeeze it in but one more like massively important thing I' very quickly say is um I think that if you take an approach to social media where you're just talking about yourself just spamming your own stuff you can only go so far but actually engaging with other people's art finding stuff that you're interested in and helping them promote the stuff um, it just it, it creates much more of a community and people get drawn into your stuff and vice versa and and having that communal sense rather than just thinking this is my space and i'm just doing my stuff (laughs) Uh, i really think that reaching out to other people is a massively important part of it which it didn't get covered before that is incredibly
0: (laughs) valuable on that because kind of what we've got the opportunity to do with this platform where can people go to find more of a music what's your central place where are you on social media
2: i would love people to jump onto com, my website it's got links to all my socials on there facebook instagram bandcamp youtube tiktok uh, all that kind of stuff so that's the hub where you can access it all and pick the platform that's best for you so yeah it would be lovely people jumped on gave them a follow great to have you on board and just remind us of the release date of the album it's friday the 4th of november that's coming out mm.
1: been listening to episode one of the limited bandwidth podcast with the last inklings and guest chris cleverly investigating some of the ways artists can make meaningful connections in this digital world if you've been affected
0: by any of the topics covered in this podcast you can find support through the help musicians website
1: at helpmusicians.org.uk forward slash contact and our guest in episode two of the series will be john parker who's a prominent double bass player and session musician in the acoustic folk world. And we're going to be exploring his journey through social media over time and how it's affected his philosophy.
0: This podcast was hosted, recorded and engineered by Leo and David with
1: music by The Last Inklings. And you can find out more at thelastinklings.co.uk.